0: Good morning, my name is Peter, I am one of the pastors here. How many of you have been noticing over the weeks that the word Philippians has been spelled wrong on this slide? <laughs> just, just the two of you? It's corrected now, but you missed it. It was awesome. Uh, I want to talk about how Christ is Lord today and how uh, by definition then we're not. I wanna, what I want to do this morning as we talk about how Christ is Lord is I want to name a, a, an elephant in the room. And I think it's uh, quite the large elephant and we all sort of deal with it all the time. Uh, we're so used to it that often we don't even know it's happening, but it's happening all the time. And uh, I'm going to use a slang term called peacocking. The passage uses the word grasping. When you're trying to be something. Imagine sort of somebody who's just sort of so insignificant, so light as a person. There's no weightiness to them. There's a little breeze and they start blowing away and they're trying not to be blown away. So they're grasping, but they're not able to actually hold anything. That's sort of the image in my mind. The modern day equivalent uh, is the word peacocking. And uh, the uh, the word peacocking definition is strutting to impress. You're talking to impress. You're trying to win approval. You're trying to uh, perform in front of some jury or judge, hoping the gavel will come down in your favor in some way, shape, or form. And we do this all the time. We put ourselves forward in ways that we hope will make some kind of impression. And uh, I like this picture and I like the words Christ is Lord written over it because it just seems so silly. It seems almost like it's desecrating the name of Christ to put a peacock behind it and say that's what we do. And we're competing directly with Christ whenever we do that. So that's what I want us to talk about today. Uh, I don't think anybody likes being on the receiving end of somebody else peacocking? Nobody says, I love being used in this manner. (laughs) But uh, it happens, and uh, sometimes it's even hard to know how to deal with it when it's happening. And even if we're not super aware of it, ourselves, for ourselves, we still are easily impressed and I think wowed too readily by those uh, who appear or claim to be something more or other, those who are peacocking. Uh, and there is some nod or acknowledgement or smile or stamp or verdict I think we're looking for. Peacocking, comparing, feeling insecure, establishing the pecking order, I wonder, uh, as common as it is, is there another better way to show up in the world? Is there a different sort of gear we can shift into when we're relating to each other? Is this sort of the only option? Is there another way to make a first impression or to meet someone without starting with your resume or your aspirations or your plans for the future? Is there another way to say hello Is there another way to be social beings? Is there another way to belong to one another without trying to one-up the other? And uh, as I thought about this, I really think this is a kind of elephant in the room. It's happening all the time. And when it's happening, we sort of get sucked into it or we let it happen. But uh, it needs to be named. And I think that's in large part... Uh, What I value most about Christianity and what, what Christ brings is humility. One of the great virtues and values of the faith is saying, be humble. It's okay to be humble. It's okay to be nothing because Christ is Lord. It's okay to struggle and be fragile because Christ is Lord. It's okay to lead with your weaknesses because Christ is Lord. One of the lies that uh, we live under is believing that we have to be Lord. But who told you that? Why are we in that ridiculous mode? Why should we relate that way? I have a funny story. Um, We're going to be celebrating 19 years in August. August. Uh, But nine years ago, uh, we were in Hawaii to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. That's Susie. We stayed by accident in the fanciest building on all of Oahu in Hawaii. And uh, we had some friends who happens to be the major toy uh, manufacturer for Kmart and Walmart and these giant companies. They own beautiful homes all over the world. And uh, we happened to be invited to stay there. And they had a car for us. And it was, that was our, this was our view. Just we walk out of our apartment and there's this gigantic pool and then a glass fence and then water. It was just perfect. Now, the circumstances of why we were there, the context, isn't that exciting or glamorous or positive? Uh, I had practiced such poor self-care. I had been working so hard. And if I'm honest, I could use this language. I've been peacocking for so long <laughs> that I burned out from peacocking. And the denomination, the Evangelical covenanter, stepped in and forced me to take a sabbatical. That's what happened. And uh, so they sort of arranged things for us, and that's how we ended up in Hawaii. So it wasn't like we did great and that's why we were there. We were not doing so well, which is why we were there. And uh, one of the days, um, I had gone uh, snorkeling, and it was sort of off the beach, and you have to stay really sort of flat and float above the water. And some of you know I don't swim, and uh, I got stuck out on the corals. The waves were coming in such a way that I got stuck, and I couldn't step on the corals, but I was getting scraped along the top surface of the corals, and uh, in a... um, a uh, lifeguard actually came out and pulled me to shore, and he yelled at me for being a ridiculous human being. <laughs> Just basically, what is wrong with you? <clears throat> and so I'm, I finally get to a part of the water where I can stand, and I sort of emerge out of the uh, water, and I'm walking, and I notice as I'm walking. All these people are turning their heads and looking at me up and down, up and down. I thought, my goodness, even in Hawaii, like, wow. (laughs) You would think there's way too much competition to be noticed in Hawaii. You know, everybody's peacocking, strutting their stuff. But here I was just being, just, I don't know, appreciated. I find Susie, who's uh, laying out in the sun, on the sand, and I go to her, and I'm thinking, boy, have I have a, do I have a story to tell Susie? Got to remind her what, what she gets to take home. <laughs> In reality, what happened is, I found out from Susie's reaction, she said, Peter, what happened? I said, what are you talking about? I looked down and up and down and up. My legs are all cut up and there's blood dripping down both legs. I had no idea. The corals had done a number on me. Did you know that corals are sharp? <laughs> yeah, some of you knew that. Just two bloody legs. That's why they were looking at me up in that. Like they were looking at the blood, and then they look up to see my face to make sure I'm okay. <laughs> and then in disbelief, they look down again. <laughs> and then they look up to see what kind of idiot walks around like this. Talking is the silliest thing. It's so dumb. It's so silly. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. But yet, we all do it. A model that I've uh, um, used over the years that I found helpful, it's not the absolute description of reality, but it's just sort of a simple way that's helpful for me to think about how to be a self in this world. You know, what are you supposed to do with the self? Here you are, human consciousness, you're aware of yourself. What are you supposed to do with yourself? Uh, the first phase of human development, uh, one said, is self for self's sake. There you are, you exist for yourself, for your comfort, for your pleasure, for your own uh, um, Sort of establishment and determining yourself. Here you are—that self for self sake—and I think that's a kind of overt narcissism. I'm not using the word narcissism in any kind of technical way, uh, but you all know what I mean. It's overt, and a lot of times it's oblivious. You're oblivious to the fact that there are other ways to live or manage the self. You just are this way. You're oblivious to it. There's a lot of self promotion. Uh, Second phase, if you should grow out of the first one, is you discover sort of God, authority, uh, and you start uh, using God for self-sake. And I think this is where a lot of Christians get stuck. I would confess out of my own profession that lots of pastors, I think, are stuck in this phase where they are using God for their own self-promotion. It's a kind of sly narcissism they hide behind religion and a kind of false humility they love to quote God use God use the name of God uh, take positions and establishments and speak on behalf of God but really if we're honest and if we are willing to name the elephant in the room I think it's a kind of narcissism Uh, I am so sick and tired of my colleagues on Facebook who are constantly promoting themselves through God. It drives me nuts. It's one of my pet peeves, but I see it all over the place. Very, very common. Uh, Third phase is God for God's sake. And I call this shy narcissism. It's when you understand that somehow you have to take the spotlight off of the self. You sort of are trying to put to death the self, but the only way you know to do it is by ignoring the self or suppressing the self. And in some ways, I think this is the worst of the three so far. Uh, Because uh, the self isn't actually dead because you can't kill yourself. You can't crucify yourself. Somebody else has to do it. There has to be a force outside of you greater than your Life has to sort of take over where you leave behind. And so uh, it's still the self in control. It's still a lot of the focus on self because you're sort of having to beat the self back very consciously and constantly. God, for God's sake, does not work because the self won't go away all on its own. And then finally, we have the self for God's sake. And this is what I would call, using Romans 12 language, a living sacrifice. This is not just death, but it's resurrection. After after you are crucified with Christ, there's a kind of way God calls you to live. And you submit the self to God's will. And it's not that you are ignoring the self or suppressing the self, but you offer the self. Offer yourselves as a living, not a dead, but a living sacrifice. You understand your proper place and order in the universe. There's a kind of peace. All of the right tensions are in place. And I would suggest to you from today's passage that that alone leads to a kind of happiness, a rightness, a humility. So um, I've been thinking about this topic for myself, and I want to admit right off the bat that this is not easy for me. Uh, I... For whatever reason, I think some of the uh, trauma in my life and some of the ways that I've chosen to uh, you know, enter into a, a field, a vocation, where there's a, literally a spotlight on me, and I do this week after week after week, position of authority, of privilege and access, it sort of trained me to be about the self. The self is always sort of brightly lit up. And sometimes I hate it. Sometimes it's enjoyable. Sometimes I've uh, offered the self up as a sacrifice to God. Sometimes I use God for myself. It's a whole sort of happy mess up here. Uh, but nevertheless, I think I've been on a trajectory of growth. And uh, I, don't, I think I'm going to like myself better in this regard when I'm 52. But at 42, I like myself better than I was at 32. At 62, I I heard a woman on a radio show this week. She's in her 90s, and she's talking about young people. And she was talking about people in their 60s and 70s. (laughs) There's such a thing as perspective, you know. And so uh, at 42, I have the perspective, the only perspective I have. So I offer that to you. And what I want you to do as I'm, I do this for myself is I want you to think of a trajectory for yourself using sort of the, the structure. So first of all, I've seen that I'm making some sort of uh, uh, forward movement from the self. I'm thinking that the self is the most important thing in the room to others. That actually focusing on others is way more fun. It gives me way more joy. I'm way better at it than focusing on myself. And I've seen that if I focus on myself, everybody hurts. But if I focus on others, all of us together get lifted up. And I don't I didn't, I didn't know that I would know to believe this, but I, I believe it now. I see it. I, I've seen it in action. And so I have much more evidence and motivation to focus on others over the self. I have uh, come from a place where I believe answers are better than questions, Like, I want to show up and have answers. I don't want to show up and have questions. But now that just seems so ridiculous to me to think answers are better than questions. Questions are way more powerful than answers. Way more influential. Way more helpful. Way more relationship building than answers. Talking versus listening. Listening. Which is better, talking or listening? Listening. Listening is very connectional. Sort of creates life when you listen. Sort of dampens the mood and lowers the energy level when you're talking. Speech to story. I used to think I have to sort of go up there and make a speech. And I realized, no, people really like stories way better than speeches. Last week was basically one long story. Remember last week? Uh, Many of you have told me you've never laughed harder in a sermon ever. One of you even told me it felt like a stand-up bit, which is the highest compliment you could ever pay me. (laughs) And I think because it was more like a story and less like a speech. Teaching versus learning. I used to want to be a teacher. And I realized, no, no, actually one of my favorite things in the world is to learn. Learning, that's my trajectory, from teaching to learning. I used to always want to add value. Like I have this anxiety to add value. And you know what I'm realizing? Nobody wants my value. (laughs) They'd rather me sit there and bear witness to their pain. Just come be, be present, be attentive, be engaged, care. Bear witness. I wrote about this. Uh, this week in the loop about one of the primary jobs of the church is just to be so we can bear witness it's not about doing or adding value May, or maybe it is but the greatest value you add at least 51 percent, is by just bearing witness being right to being sorry there's so much tension in the room if you have to be right do you know this It just gets all tight and weird and people start shifting if we have enough of this be right energy. But if you're willing to be sorry, it's like a tension release valve at the least. So powerful to be willing to be sorry. What's better, getting or giving? In, In fact, Jesus says it's, Better to give than to receive. It is more blessed. And that's the Greek word for happy. It's happier to give than to get. And I'm learning that. I've experienced enough joy in giving that I'm sort of more prone to it. I'm open to it. I used to think being strong was everything. But I'm realizing no, being weak is way better. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. There's sort of some magic paradox that happens, and I don't think it's magical. I think the uh, uh, professionals can break this down, what's happening on a hormonal level, what's happening in a neurological, physiological, psychological level. When you are willing to be weak, there's strength that comes through. My favorite image of this is it's the pros who don't white-knuckle their bats at the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs. They know how to stay limber and loose. They show up sort of weak and open. And then the moment strikes. And then their body does what it does, what it's been trained to do. Doing versus being. Sometimes motion is just commotion. It's not getting you anywhere. It's just busy work. Energy spent. If you would be just a little bit longer, just a little deeper, and allow the doing to overflow from your being, really see the value of that. Leading versus following. What's better? What's your aspiration? Can you lead if you're not a follower? No. Because all authority comes from God. And you who... Exercises authority is under authority. And so, if you follow well, you can follow and lead. But if you just lead well, you do neither. Resume versus rest. And gifts, bringing gifts. Not valuable compared to bringing the gift of yourself your time, your focus, your energy. Now, this is my trajectory uh, of change. Even though I'm a hot mess, I still see progress. What about you? What, what are some of the trajectory things in your life? How is your worldview shifting? I want to confront you a little bit. Simple questions, and I'd like you to answer it in your mind. First, are you great are you? Do you want to be? Do you want to be great? Are you trying to be? Are you aware that you're trying to be? Four, would you like it if you were? Would you like it if you were great? Do you fantasize about your version of great? What does it do for you if you're great? This is a so what question. So what you're great. Who are you peacocking for? Who's watching? What's on the other side of supposedly being great? What still awaits you even after you've achieved, even after you left the mark, even after you've met your goals? What's there? Is it a whole new person or is it still the same you? I have found that in all my efforts personally, for me, almost every time there's nothing there. There's no view. There's no payoff, no reward. It's just nothing. It's always disappointing because you know what's there on the other side of great? Me. I'm disappointing. That's why I was trying to be great in the first place. I was trying to get away from me. Is the trouble worth it? And I think not. I don't think it's worth it. You decide that for yourself. And how long does it last? Not very long. And finally, do you want to try be in this mode for the rest of your life? And I don't think so. So the verse we have today uh, says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So I want to give you a couple of truths that I think uh, are obvious from this passage. Number one, absolutely Christ died for us you matter you matter and you have a place and the and and the uh and (laughs) I reversed the words you matter and you have a place and a part to play and play a part (laughs) yeah that makes sense to you matter you have a place and you play a part or a part to play perfect All right. Truth number two, you're not the only one that matters. Is that okay with you? Is that okay? And your place is shared with others. Is that okay? Do you have to be comparative? Do you have to be better or more? Do you have to be? And the answer is, no, you don't. You share your place with others. Number three, your place is adjacent to, not center of. Is that okay? I'm inviting you to come to terms with reality that's true with or without your agreement. No amount of peacocking That you do for the rest of your life. No amount of grasping you do will get you to the center. That's not your place. Verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, what this, these verses tell us is that number one, your place is under Christ. Your place is under Christ. Your purpose, the reason you exist, is not for you. It's self for Christ's sake. Your purpose is Christ. Number three, your confession, the thing that you say. Right? The guy sang about this. When we tell the story, if we should speak, we speak of Christ. Paul said the same, same thing. If I should boast, I will boast of what? Of Christ my Lord. That's what our mouths are for. That's what storytelling is for. It's not to grasp, but it's to tell of Christ, to confess Christ. Because, for Christ is Lord. And for A, and not you, not now, not ever. You will never, ever, ever, ever be Lord. It's just, it's not gonna happen for you. And if you try, you're gonna have a bad time. What this passage tells us is it's our humility. Humility isn't lowering ourselves than we should. It's simply coming to terms with what we are. And being great with that. That's humility. And the passage says that leads God to exalt us. To make us happy. Humility leads to happiness to exaltation. And if you're sitting here and you're not a believer in Christ, you still have to find someone other than you who is Lord. That's the problem you have. If you're a Christian here, your problem is that you know this in your head and yet daily, you have to figure out a way to make Christ your Lord. And if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, my question for you is then who then is Lord? Are you sure it should be you? Are you sure it should be self for self's sake? Is that the way you want to show up and be in the world? Do you like it when other people are self for self's sake with you? Do you just love it? Do you enjoy it? Do you like relating to that kind of person? Is their likability factor really high? And the answer is no. But if christ isn't the lord then by default it's going to be you unless you make something or someone else lord and that's for you to figure out who is worthy who rightfully should take the place of lord in your life i think it's sort of uh, uh, instinct and proven fact that we really shouldn't be lord Right? Even, even the great Maslow himself said the self-actualized self, which is the top tier of the pyramid, still needs transcendence beyond the actualized self. Okay, application, and then we close. Okay, I have two application points for us. And I think these two things are things you can do to uh, help. Uh, number one is pick others. Deliberately choose others. You notice in the passage the words merely and but also. And these two words help us to remember that it, picking others doesn't mean we're doing uh, that instead of picking the self. But often, more often than not, it's choosing others along with yourself. Include them into your sense of importance. The word, uh, the verse Three says, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. That word regard. And then verse five, Christ Jesus did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. That word regard just means to rule. Let that idea rule, meaning just choose other people. You don't have to feel it. You don't even have to think it. You don't have to agree with it, but just act like it. Choose, pick others. And practicing this discipline somehow from the outside in leads to a kind of calibration towards humility. So today you go home, church is over, practice picking other people. You're going to have conflicts of interest. You're going to do want to do A, somebody's going to want you to do B. Try choosing B. See what that's like. Practice saying no to the self or saying also to others. That's application number one. Application number two call out the grasping. Now, we do this all the time. We peacock, we grasp, we have motives, we use words, we have action. Uh, Just call it out. Practice calling it out. For example, notice how you feel after uh, a bout of peacocking or grasping. How do you feel after you do that, after the conversation's over and people walk away? Is it kind of a downer or is it an upper? Did it work? Did you fool them? Are you going to be able to sustain that? How do you feel? Second, uh, notice how you feel when others are grasping or peacocking. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Uh, Three, notice how you feel when you lower yourself, when you humble yourself and you pick others over yourself. How do you feel? Feel good? Just notice that. Notice how you feel when others lower themselves and choose you and are generous in their heart towards you. How does that feel? What kind of response does that draw out of you when you witness humility? Or when you're on the receiving end of humility? It's beautiful, I think. Uh, Tricky thing for me is sometimes... uh, Just in that situation, I feel a great deal of temptation uh, to prove myself. Because somehow I do want to be liked and accepted and respected and loved and committed to. I found this little verse that's been really helpful for me. The verse is from Luke chapter 7, verse 35. And it's Jesus speaking. And he says, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Humble yourself. And God will exalt you in due time. Humble yourself and the wisdom of that humility will vindicate you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that uh, there is much freedom uh, to humble ourselves, acknowledging just how really silly and fruitless it is to try to grasp. Grasping is ineffective and it's Uh, ridiculous, and it's ugly, and it's not helpful. God, so I pray you'd give us the supernatural power uh, to be able to fight the urge, fight the instinct to uh, survive and impress and uh, strut our stuff, but help us to be focused on others, on serving, on listening, on caring. Open our eyes to uh, a world of opportunities Uh, uh, to uh, totally be a different way in this world. Thank you for this powerful truth in Jesus' name. Amen.